When Queen Jezebel heard that Elijah had killed the prophets of Baal, she sent a message to Elijah. By this time tomorrow, you will be just as dead as those prophets. Elijah ran for his life. As he sat under a bush in the wilderness, Elijah prayed that God would kill him. I've had enough, Lord, Elijah prayed. Take my life. Exhausted, he fell asleep. God's angel woke Elijah and gave him food and water. Elijah slept again. The angel returned with another meal. Now Elijah had strength to journey 40 days to Mount Horeb, where he hid in a cave. What are you doing here, Elijah? God asked. I've worked hard for you, Elijah responded, but your people haven't honored their covenant to you. They've torn down your altars and killed your prophets. I'm the only prophet left, and they want to kill me too. Stand outside the cave, God instructed, and I, the Lord God, will pass by. A powerful wind tore at the mountainside and shattered rocks, but God was not in the wind. Then an earthquake shook the mountain, but God was not in the earthquake. After that came terrible fire, but God was not in the fire. Soon Elijah heard a whisper. He pulled his cloak over his face and stood at the front of the cave. Now tell me, Elijah, the quiet voice said, what are you doing here? I faithfully served you, Elijah answered again, but the people of Israel don't want to worship you. I'm the only prophet left and they want to kill me. Go back through the wilderness, God instructed. Anoint Elisha as my prophet after you, and know that you are not alone. The other please. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are in this place and that you want to speak to each person here, that there's not just, again, there's not just a, a sermon for the crowd. There, your Holy Spirit would speak to each of us. I pray that you give comfort to those who are here and feeling broken. Pray that you'd give challenge to all of us. Pray these things through Christ. Amen. Do you ever walk in the middle of a movie or television show and you watch the second half the whole time thinking, I really wish I hadn't missed the first half because it's hard to understand what I'm watching now. It's kind of like what you just experienced there in reading 1 Kings chapter 19. That's the story from 1 Kings 19. And to really understand what happens there, it's helpful to understand what happened in chapter 18 and even chapter 17. So if you want to turn the clock back uh, three years or so, you'll see that, um, well, in chapter 18, for instance, it's, it, it's what um, Vin Scully would have called a classic confrontation. On the one hand, you have one man standing alone, God's prophet. On the other side, you have the bad guys, the most, two of the most wicked people in Old Testament, if not in history, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Would you put your hand up if your name is Jezebel? Actually, don't do that. I, I doubt that we have any Jezebels here because there are many people that look at a newborn baby girl and say, hmm, I think we'll call her Jezebel. No, it just reeks with, even to this day, that name reeks as, you know, evil. And so basically, but, but the one thing that king, the king and queen had on their side was popularity. They had not just the prophets of Baal and the prophets, the prophets who basically said, oh, there's not one God, there are many gods that we need to worship, many ways that, that lead us to God. But the people followed them. It, they were the cool kids on the playground, and so everybody wanted to be with the cool kids on the playground. And basically standing on the other side, all alone is Elijah. What happened was, 
turn the clock back now three years earlier, um, Jezebel and, and Ahab were so wicked that Elijah confronted them and said, unless you repent, I'm going to pray and it's not going to rain. And he prayed and it didn't rain. They didn't repent. And so now there's been famine in the land. The economy has gone south. Nahab and Jezebel are none too pleased with Elijah. At the beginning of chapter 18, then, um, God says to Elijah, time to end this thing. So now we find ourselves at the classic confrontation I just described. (laughs) I think it's kind of funny because at the beginning of it, it, Elijah looks at the people of Israel and he says, choose this day. Follow Baal if he is God. Follow Ashtoreth if she is God. Or follow God. But you must choose the, the gods of this world or the God of the Bible. And you know what they chose? Nothing. They chose plan C. They just were silent. It's kind of like Elijah must have been thinking, I did not give you that option. Silence is not at any rate. But how many of you, by the way, if you are given that option, are you going to follow the world? Are you going to follow God? You just choose silence? Don't want to be against God, but... Don't want to be against the world. Anyway, so, so Elijah says, okay, to the prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal, got a deal. You build an altar, put a calf on it. I'll build an altar, put, it, put a bull on it. And then we'll call out to our gods. And whoever God, whatever God answers with fire will provide for us a wonderful church camp drama for years to come. But we'll also be, that God will be, those of you who are in church camp will appreciate that story that illustration. But anyway, um, that God will be God. This got a deal. Okay, so the prophets of Baal build their altar, put their bull on it, and they start praying to their God. Nothing happens. They start dancing to their God. Nothing happens. They start singing to their God and yelling to their God. They start cutting themselves, thinking that cutting themselves will make their, their God answer. And at this point, Elijah gets all smack-talking Larry Bird on them. If those of you who remember Larry Bird... I love the Larry Bird story. One time before a three-point shooting contest, he walks into the locker room that is filled with the best shooters in the NBA. And people ask him what he's doing. He's looking at all these shooters. He's saying, I'm just looking to see who's going to come in second. That's trash talk. That's what Elijah does here. He says to them, oh, maybe your God's sleeping. You need to yell louder. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's on the John, smack talk is often crude, and this is crude. So after a while, Elijah says, Elijah says, you've had your chance, it's my turn. He builds an altar, he puts a bull on it, and then he drenches it. Talk about smack talk, he drenches it with water. Not just once, not just twice, but three times. He builds a trench around just to collect the water, to let people know this thing is not gonna light easily. And then he prays, simple prayer, and God sends this, fire from heaven. And it doesn't just consume the sacrifice. It consumes the rocks of the altar. It consumes all of the water around the altar. I love the response of those people of God, of of, of the people of Israel there, who remember they were silent before. They weren't quite sure that they wanted to take a stand for God. At this point, it says, when all the people saw it, they fell face down and says, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I just think, okay, God, sign us up for the God team. Now, that takes a lot of courage. So Elijah orders the execution of the prophets of Baal who've been leading people to spiritual disaster. And then he goes 
to the side of the mountain, looks off toward the Mediterranean Sea and prays for it to rain, and God sends rain. He's just a few of the prophets of Baal. He's just prayed, and rain has come. Don't you love for God to answer prayers for you like that? And what's the very next thing you read? Elijah goes on the run, and then he finds himself under a broom tree and says, God, I want to die. Anybody who's ever been deeply discouraged will appreciate Elijah. Anybody who's ever come to a point in life to say, I just feel like my life has been a waste. I just feel like I don't know how to go on. I just would rather be dead. Anybody who's been a little bit discouraged, Elijah's the prophet to look at. This is a good man of God, a great man of God. When two people show themselves to Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration, it's Moses the lawgiver and Elijah the prophet. He is a big deal, strong man of God, and now he's in despair. We're continuing this series of messages on New Life at 30 and kind of the things that God has taught us through the years and the kind of church that we are. And at the beginning we said, Jesus builds the church. That's one of the things that we're clear on. Jesus builds the church through his word. We're a Bible-based church. Jesus builds his church as we follow his purposes. Last week Vince talked about we reach lost people. We make disciples who make disciples. But I think you wouldn't understand new life unless you understand you'd get to 30 years of God's blessing through perseverance. Everybody fails. Everybody struggles. That's why I love the Stephen Wright line. The comedian Stephen Wright says, if at first you don't succeed, skydiving may not be your thing. (laughs) But the reality is, everybody who tries fails. Everybody, the only people that don't stumble are people that never walk. And so we get discouraged. So when you feel like giving up, when you feel like your resistance is waning, how do you keep going? How does God restore the broken? Elijah teaches us that. Now, I want to begin kind of by briefly talking about the reasons for discouragement. We see that. I don't want to talk a lot about this, but we see those reasons in Elijah. For instance, I think, I think he's discouraged because of its, it's his natural temperament. Some people are naturally half as glass full, glasses half full people. Other people, glasses half empty. Other people, glasses all poisoned. But there are some people who are just kind of natural Eeyores. I think that's Elijah. Once in chapter 18, once in chapter 19, Elijah's like, I'm the only one left to serve God. Kind of, and you just kind of hear, he's got this negative temperament. If you come from a family that is easily... If you come from a line of people who just struggle with discouragement and depression, don't beat yourself up if that's a tendency. I think another reason Elijah's vulnerable is because of the law of gravity. We could also call it the principle of blood, sweat, and tears. What goes up must come down. People who are alive in the 70s understand the blood, sweat, and tears line there. You would expect Elijah to be right up here, right? I mean, he's a mountaintop, literally mountaintop experience in, in Mount Carmel, but immediately he wants to die. Don't be surprised when you discover you've experienced this mountaintop high and the next day, don't be surprised when Christmas joys are followed by 
January bills and doldrums. Don't be surprised when the honeymoon is followed by the honeymoon's over. You see it when people accomplish great things. You win a Super Bowl, you win the World Series, and then kind of, and then people are like, that was it? What's next? So just don't be surprised when what goes up comes down. I think Elijah's also overwhelmed by responsibility. I think he's experiencing responsibility fatigue. He is tired of leading. He's tired of being the main voice opposing the wicked king and queen, opposing evil. You'll break the bow, the old saying says, if you keep it always bent. I know I'm talking to people right now who are experiencing responsibility fatigue. Somebody recently wrote, Greg uh, Greg McGowan said, Today, we have multiple priorities, work, digital communication, family obligations, romantic relationships, exercise, financial planning, on and on. The numbers of hours in the day has stayed the same, yet our expectations for ourselves have multiplied. How many of you, when I say responsibility fatigue, just kind of feel this, oh, that's me. If when people ask you, how are you doing, you say, I'm tired, that's you. I think Elijah's also disappointed with God. Disappointed with God. Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord our God and the Israelites have a man in your covenant. Elijah says, I've prayed, I've worked really hard, and where's God? You prayed for God to give you a spouse and you're still lonely. You prayed to be able to get into that school and it was blocked. You prayed to get well, and you're not. You prayed for a child, and you can't. You prayed for your kids to come to know Christ, and God hasn't answered that. You prayed for that, to be able to overcome that temptation, that addiction, and yet it still persists. The Bible tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. I think Elijah's disappointed with God. There are so many people that leave God because they just find that he doesn't do what they want them to do in the time that he wants them to do, and their heart gets sick. If you ever feel that, look at Elijah. God, I want to die. I think ultimately he's just fatigued. (laughs) After this confrontation, he runs. He runs 15 miles to Jezreel. He runs to Beersheba 100 miles away. He goes uh, another day's journey into the wilderness. He's just worn out. Any of you fatigued? How does God restore the the broken person and make him resilient, verse 14, or verse four of chapter 19, he gives Elijah rest. Some of you are gonna just let this wash over you. So Elijah sat down under the broom tree and he prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my ancestors. And he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him The angel told him, get up and eat. God prepared food for Elijah, and and he looked, and there in his head was a loaf of baked bread over hot stones and a jug of water, and he ate and he drank, and he lay down again. Some of you right now are envying Elijah. You think, man, I could use that. Isn't it wonderful? When Elijah wants to die, when he's so discouraged, and God meets him, First of all, that God pursues Elijah. Elijah's not pursuing God. You're going to look back on life. We look back on life and we see, oh, it's so much about God pursuing us. 
But God doesn't give him a lecture. God doesn't quote him from the Psalms. God doesn't say, buck up, you shouldn't be like this. God lets him sleep. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is sleep. I read one time about a study that was done with depressed people. People on depression medicine were given sleep therapy for four to six weeks. 98% showed improvement. You need to sleep and a good breakfast. You know, that's why God gives us Sabbath. God gives us a day every week to rest. When God creates the world, he creates it in six days and then he rests on the seventh. Why? For him? No, for us as an example. And then he commands in the Old Testament, Sabbath, once a week, every seven years, once one year, every 49 years, two years in a row. And what have we done with that? In the New Testament, Jesus would say to people, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And you know how modern Christians sometimes interpret that? Man was made for man, therefore I can do whatever I want to with the Sabbath. I mean, so man was made for Sabbath. I'm, I'm sorry. Sabbath was made for man, therefore I can do whatever I want with the Sabbath. No, Jesus said Sabbath was made for man. I wonder if one of the reasons people are so tired today and so depressed, there's so much depression, so angry, so much despair, because we live in a secular pagan world that has said seven days a week are mine, and we don't need Sabbath. You know what Sabbath? Sabbath was a day that God set aside for us not just to rest, but to be restored spiritually by taking time to worship Him. And when we do that, life works better for us. God restores our soul. Have we learned anything from (laughs) Chick-fil-A? They dared to be different. They dared to follow God's pattern. And I'm so proud of you that some of you run businesses that you take Sunday, your business is shut down. I think that Sabbath is like tithing. God tells us to give up first fruits to him. One of the Old Testament standards is 10%. You give your first 10% to God. Why? Because all of it belongs to God. All of it is from God. You're acknowledging that when you give the 10th. But you're also trusting that God will make the 90% go and be more productive, go further and be more productive than the 100% would be if you kept it yourself. So it is with Sabbath. God gives us seven days a week, and so we take one day where we say, Lord, I'm gonna stop to rest and to worship you, to focus on you. And I'm gonna do that because all of it belongs to you, all of time belongs to you, and I'm confident that if I do, you will make my six days more fruitful than if I take all seven ourselves. But you live in a world that is telling you, take all seven days. You live in a world that is gonna tell you, Conform to us, and you're going to be just as worn out and just as spiritually depleted as a pagan world who lives like there is no God. Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Make him Lord of the Sabbath by taking Sabbath. That means one day a week, set aside as a priority. The priority is worship. You're not going to go to hell if you break the Sabbath. Don't be legalistic about, I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying, 
Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he made Sabbath for you, for relationship with him. We don't just need weekly Sabbath. We need daily Sabbath, don't we? I need daily Sabbath. That's that time where I still my soul and focus on God. I take time to read the Bible, to listen to the Bible, to meditate on the Bible, to hear God's voice, and to pray. And he restores our soul. Elijah needed to rest. You, need, you and I need to rest. But it takes discipline. And by the way, <laughs> it takes you putting your significance in God. You know why the reason, part of the reason that we overbook our lives is we think that we can schedule ourselves into significance. The busier we are, the more significant we must be. No, your significance comes from the Lord of the Sabbath, not from your schedule. Second, Elijah needed to wait. So Elijah rests. Is he all better? No, he's still discouraged. So God says to him, verse 11, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountain and was shattering the cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the powerful wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, shook the mountain, but God was not in the impressive earthquake. After the earthquake, well, there was a fire, but God wasn't blazing in the fire. After the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. And in the voice, God spoke. But Elijah needed to wait. If you're not clear on this before, be clear on it now. That's the ultimate experience in life. Jesus said he's the good shepherd, and my sheep hear my voice and follow me. This is what you are made for, but it only comes when we wait. Wait for the Lord, the Bible says in Psalm 46. Take heart and wait for the Lord. Sometimes people think waiting just means not doing anything. Inactivity, you know, some people believe that Psalm 46 was actually given in a time of war. <laughs> the idea is stop striving. Stop living on your own. You wait for the Lord and you obey him. One of the sub-themes of the Bible, one of the great themes of the Bible is wait for the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? I like to review this from time to time. When Adam and Eve sin, the first thing that God does is he promises he's gonna send a Messiah who will crush Satan's head, but they have to wait. He comes to Abraham and says, I am gonna make you a great nation, gonna give you a great family, gonna make you a blessing to all people. And does it happen tomorrow? No, he has to wait. And Abraham and Sarah can't control when it happens. They try to control when it happens, right? About 10 years later, they're like, we're tired of waiting. We need to help God. Sarah says, Abraham, sleep with my servant. And so he does. And the servant has a child. And today we have the conflict in Gaza. You want to know why we have fighting in Gaza right now? Because Abraham and Sarah didn't wait. They tried to force it. And ever since then, Ishmael and Isaac have been fighting each other. God tells the people of Israel, I'm going to send a Messiah. He tells them, I'm going to give you, going to give you land. And then they wait 400 years in, in, in slavery in Egypt. Can you imagine generation after generation? And then I'm going to send a Messiah. And they wait again, year after year, century after century. For four centuries, God goes completely silent. There's no prophet. They just have to wait. And then unto us a child is born. The Virgin Mary gives birth to a son. 
Jesus comes into the world and Jesus grows and he becomes a man and he begins a ministry and he tells people, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. And the people are wondering, is now the time the kingdom of God is going to come? We're going to be established on the throne of David. And then comes the cross. Jesus dies on the cross and their hopes with it, their dreams with it. And by the way, Friday the cross is followed by what day? Saturday. Sabbath. Where they just have to wait. Wait in the Lord. Sunday brings resurrection. Jesus is alive. The king is here. And what are they wondering? Is now the time? Now are you going to come into your kingdom and you're going to establish David's throne? What are Jesus' words, last words to them before he ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 1, verse 4? Wait. <laughs> he commands them, wait for the Father's promise. And so they do. The Holy Spirit comes. The church begins. And every Christian is looking for Jesus to return. By the way, they were not waiting for 1949 before Jesus returned. They believed Jesus could return at any moment. And they waited. And you read the last words. Among the last words of the book of Revelation are John, the apostle, the last apostle alive on the island of Patmos. And he cries out, even so, Lord Jesus, come. The words of the waiting soul. From the beginning of the cha beginning chapters of the Bible in, in Genesis to the final, the final chapter of the Bible, the sub-theme of Scripture is wait for the Lord. God will fulfill his promises. God will win but you must wait, and you can't force the win. Waiting does not mean passivity. Waiting is not like you're standing in line at Disney waiting for the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. That's not what it means to wait. To, to wait means you listen to God and you obey Him, you pray, but you focus on simple obedience today, and you do not force. You do not try to manipulate. You must in your soul be still. It's the story of new life. I'm spending more time on this because you need to understand this is the story of new life from the beginning until now. When we began, we believed God wanted us to be a church planting church. I believe to do that, we need to have somebody on staff at the very beginning who would be our first church planter. We didn't have the money to do that, didn't have a person to do that, and so the church got started, but we had to wait for a church planter. Last week, Vince Antonucci spoke here when the church was about two years old, Vince and Jen came on staff. He was here for a couple, because we kept praying. What did we do when we were waiting? We didn't give up. We just kept praying. We kept looking. We quit. I kept talking to people. The time seemed right. Vince came. Vince went, started church in Virginia Beach, and that began all the churches that we've been able, that God's been able to start through us. But it began by waiting. God was teaching us to wait for him. The story of the end zone is a story of waiting. I'm not going to tell you that story again. Somebody else can. But we had to wait for 18 years, and there's a whole bunch of waiting in the middle of that waiting. But it's the story of, of our campus pastor in Linton Hall right now, Preston Condor. I can't imagine a better couple to lead that campus than Preston and Meg Condor. 
but we had to wait. We were looking for a campus pastor throughout COVID, and it was not a great time to look for a campus pastor. And months went by, and we had a couple of really good leads, and they didn't work out. And then we had this one lead that I knew this guy was coming. His name was Kane Atkinson. Kane came, and he, we met for the weekend. I mean, you went, go through all the preliminary stuff, and then he came and he met for the weekend, and he, I just thought, we click with this guy. He is, he's the guy. He is, he, he, uh, he's a leader. Uh, when he was in high school, he was a drug dealer. By the time he was in college, he led like a network of drug dealers. He was an entrepreneur. Not your conventional approach for preparation for ministry, but um, it was clear he demonstrated leadership and entrepreneurial spirit and risk. And, and then he, because of coming out of being lost, he understood lo- he has such a heart for lost people because he knows how lost he was. And so, I mean, even in our last conversations when we were um, having some lunch with him, he was calling me boss. He was like, okay, boss, looking forward to that boss. I thought, okay, he's in. And then he landed, he got home in Nashville, landed, and he got a call from a church that he had previously interviewed with, but the church had said that we're not ready to plant a church with you. He was wanting to plant a church. And... uh, uh, is his home, his wife's home church is the, a, a, a good friend of mine leads that church, David Young. And so they, David did call, one of today's associate ministers, like, uh, our elders met and we really think that it's God's will for us to plant a church with you now. I was calling David, it's like, Dave, you're killing me. You know, what are you doing? You church piracy here. But anyway, so, um, so Cain calls us back apologetic. He, thought, he was like, I, I thought I was coming, but I, I really, I, this, is, this was the first thing I, God had for us, and I, I really think I need to obey. And Pat and I, who were doing the primary search at this point, were just kind of in despair. It's like, oh, we don't want to go back to the beginning of this and look again. And, and so, um, and yet Pat is such a faithful man of God. He was like, but God must have something else in mind. God must have something better. I was like, no, Pat, I can't imagine. I just think Satan has gotten into my friend Dave Young. But anyway, um, and so, uh, so sure enough, we got connected with, with Preston Condor, and he's just, they're doing great stuff out there. I think there have been like 20 kids on the, on the football team out there that have come to Christ as a result, of just this season as a result of, his faithfulness. Anyway, um, guess who is in our church planting cohort this year? Kane Atkinson. Guess who we're going to be planting a church with? We've already made a commitment. We've already pulled together a network of churches to start a church in Nashville with Kane Atkinson. God knew what he was up to when he brought Kane to us. And by making us wait, all of that's to say, do you find yourself in a situation where you find God confusing because he's saying to you, wait, don't give up. He's not answered your prayers the way that you would hope. Don't quit praying. Just obey. Just do the next best thing. Don't manipulate. Don't force. Just obey. Hear my voice. Do not fret. Forty-three times in the Old Testament alone, we're told to wait for the Lord. Next thing, 
that um, the next thing that, uh, that Elijah needed, though, was a fresh purpose from God. Elijah's still whining in verse 14 after God tells him to wait and he experiences God on the mountain. Again, I've been very zealous for the Lord of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets by the sword. They're still playing soccer and loving cats, and I'm left alone, and they're looking to take my life. Somebody call the wambulance for Elijah. It's interesting, God doesn't wrestle with Elijah's wine. He just goes on, verse 15. He says, Elijah, I've got work for you to do. I want you to appoint a king in Syria. I want you to appoint a king in Israel, in, 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 in Judah. I, I want you to uh, find a replacement for you in Elisha and train him, mentor him. And I want you to lead this band of prophets, this school of prophets. By the way, you see, Elijah, you're not the last one. There are 7,000 others who have not bowed the knee to the culture yet. Elijah needed to know why God's, what God's purpose is for, for him at that moment. Do you know why you're here? I think the reason there are so many people discouraged today is because they don't know why they are here. There is no sense of transcendent meaning for their lives. The greatest meaning they have is living for the next vacation, living for the next weekend, living for the next raise, living for the next buzz, living for the next success. Preachers like to tell the story about the gravestone that somebody wrote on the gravestone. Here lies a man who left this world without ever knowing why he came into it. I really don't think anybody ever put that on a gravestone, do you? I mean, who would put that on a gravestone unless you really don't like somebody? But what if gravestones were honest? How many gravestones would have the language, here lies a person who left this world without ever knowing why they came? came into it. Isn't that tragic? Am I speaking to anybody who doesn't know why you are here? We all need to be people who can say like Isaiah, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips, live among people of unclean lips. I don't know that I have the ability to do this, but here am I, send me. I will do what you want. We need to be people like Esther, the queen who knows to go in to see the king is to be executed. Without permission is to be executed. And yet when her cousin Mordecai says, Esther, who knows but that you have been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this, Esther says, I will go to see the king. If I perish, I perish. I was born for this. Do you know why you were born? Acts chapter uh, 13, verse 6, verse 16 says of David, after serving God's purposes for his own generation, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers. When you die, will you be able to say, will it be said of you, here lies a person who left this world having served God, God's purposes in this generation. Can you go to bed tonight saying, I sleep tonight knowing that I have served God's purposes this day in my generation. If you're going to do that, it begins by surrendering to Jesus for the first time. It begins by daily being able to say, my life is not mine. I don't come up with my own purposes. My life is God's. God, what do you want me to do with my life? Philip Bailey, the lead singer for Earth, Wind, and Fire. Now, don't look at me like I'm an old guy with old references. I just went to a wedding reception where like 70s and 80s music was most of the music that they played, okay? 
Philip Bailey one time said, at the height of earth, wind, and fire's success, I felt emptiness and void. I studied lots of philosophies and cults, and I prayed to God, and God made it plain that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ, and the emptiness and void went away. The place to begin is by surrendering to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and then, and then saying, Lord, my life is yours. Hold nothing back. You say, I need to give my career to God. Yes, you do. Are you, is your career God's career for you? There are a lot of you that are doing stuff saying, I don't know why I go to work because I just feel like it's so empty. But to get to that, you know why it feels so empty? You know how do you get to the point where work is meaningful? You say, Lord, where do you want me to go to college? What do you want me to study? It's really hard to say, Lord, I want to follow you in my career if you have said, I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to study this. No, you surrender that preparation to God. You know where that begins? That begins when you're in high school and middle school and elementary school. Every day saying, Lord, I don't know what your future is for me, but prepare me today. Prepare me for your purposes in my life. You don't just go at your classes and say, I don't care if I, what grade I get on this course. I don't care how well I do on this, no, this test. No, you say, this day, Lord, I surrender to your purposes because I want to live this day for you completely. Do you know why you're here? I believe that following God's purposes in our lives is not unlike following the cars, following the lights on our cars. You follow the headlights on your car at night, it's not going to show you five miles or 10 miles or even a mile ahead of you. But if you follow them, they'll take you all the way home. God is not gonna show you his purposes necessarily what 10 years from now or five years from now, but if you will just say every day, I surrender all to you. Lord, how do I live this day complete? How do I surrender my time, my talents, my treasures, all for your purpose? And then you come to the end of life and can know that you've lived it for him. Well, the final thing that Elijah, that God gave Elijah was a companion to disciple. Verse 16, you were to anoint Elisha, a prophet, in your place. 75-year study that was done by Harvard. 75-year study asking, what is the key to happiness and success? You know what number one key is? Relationships. Close social connections. Huh. The Bible's been teaching us that for a long time. That's why God gave us family. That's why God gave us the church. You need friends. Who are the people around you who support you when you have lost hope in yourself? Who are the people who hold you accountable when you're tempted to stray? Abraham Lincoln one time said, I am a success today because I had a friend who believed in me and I didn't have the heart to let him down. Who are the friends that are close to you who believe in you? Sometimes you hear a preacher say, you need a small group, and it sounds like a program. Harvard study says, no, it's what you're made for. You cannot be happy in life. You cannot be successful in life without close co social connections. Doing it on your own. And you need more than family. Elijah didn't just need Elisha. They needed their school of the prophets that they were hanging around with all the time. I'm so thankful for Celebrate Recovery where people who are struggling with addictions and hurts and hang-ups and habits 
know they have people who love them no matter what. So thankful for women's ministry, for men's ministry. So thankful for our welcome group. They're not just doing work out there. They love each other. They support each other. So thankful for our children's ministry. Um, If you're in children's ministry, you get free breakfast today, omelets, fresh out there. And people are just enjoying now you're saying, dang, wish I'd signed up for children's <laughs> ministry. But in, and you get in that room, and they're just enjoying each other. You are made for close relationships. I can't convince you of that, but maybe part of the reason you're so discouraged is because you're lonely, you're disconnected. The story of new life is a story of traveling companions that God has sent to walk together. When Satan wants to nuke your soul, he will use discouragement. He will try to get you to quit. What's your next step? Maybe the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. You don't need a lecture. You just need some sleep. You need daily Sabbath, weekly Sabbath. Maybe you need to learn to wait. Boldly obey, but don't force. And strength will rise when you wait upon the Lord. Some of you need a renewed sense of God's purpose in your life that comes from a renewed surrender to Him day-to-day, moment-to-moment. We all need companionship. Who is your Elijah? Who is your Elisha? Who is your, who is your band of prophets that you know are there for you no matter what? Let's pray together, please. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Elijah's example. I thank you for how you loved him and, and led him and restored him. I thank you that this great, strong, spiritual leader felt so so much deep despair. And I pray that people in this place who are feeling judged and condemned because of their discouragement will hear your voice of compassion, will know that you are the God who pursues the brokenhearted. And Lord, would you restore our souls that we be faithful unto death and receive the crown of life. Through Christ we pray these things. Amen.